Welcome to What Is It All For, a podcast designed to help you grow your online business and pursue a spacious, satisfying life at the same time. We're your hosts, Jason and Caroline Zook, and we run Wandering Aimfully, an unboring business coaching program. Every week, we bring you advice and conversations to return you to your most intentional self and to help you examine every aspect of your life and business by asking, what is it all for? Thanks for listening, and now let's get into the show. And I'm here too. (laughs) Hi. Welcome to an interesting twist on our (laughs) podcast. Who? saw this coming no one okay so for 160 plus episodes of this podcast sure. we've recorded just together yeah. we've not had a single guest on the show no we've gotten emails all the time from these dumb pr companies that are like dr swanson is a leading uh metaphysicist in the <laughs> kneecap urology uh system and would love to be a guest on your show and when we get those emails i just get like a, i die a little bit inside because i'm like First of all, we've never had a guest on our show, so just a little bit of research would be great. Second of all, Dr. Swanson and the kneecap urology is going to be the first guest we have. Come on. <laughs> My favorite is when the cold emails lead with, big fan of your show, blah, 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 blah. Then Big they- fan of your show, comma, what is it all for, colon, <laughs> wandering aim. Like, they just copy and paste the show name. An intentional creative business podcast. Yeah. And I was like, no one says that. No and one then, says that. And then they go into pitching their, Dr. Swanson, their client. Dr. Swanson, urology. Like, again, just a quick cursory glance would yeah. show you not, not a, a single, single guest. guest. Not a single I used to actually write back just when I was, like, more spiteful. Now I just, <laughs> now I just block them. Wow, baby, you've really evolved. I think so. Okay. Speaking of evolved... Uh, let's see how this goes. (laughs) Okay. So just to set the stage for this, about a week and a half ago. This is the preamble, by the way. We're going to skip kind of Portugal stuff because we just want to like get into this. It might take longer than we think. About a week and a half ago, you and I will, I would say like, almost. I would say 75% of the time we sit down and we have lunch together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, more than that. More lunch than that, is pretty solidly together pretty solid these days. Together. That's a, yeah. You're probably right. It, you know what helps? Having a dining room table. Yeah. <laughs> having had a dining yeah, room table in our homes for years. We have a dining room table for years. Now we have one. So, and also it just, it's perfectly in the middle of the day. So we need a break from our laptop. So we sit down and we eat lunch together. And the, about a week and a half ago, we somehow got, usually it's just like shooting the shit, talking about business, like whatever. Yeah. We went on this tangent where like, we had a very deep conversation where I like learned new things about you. Yeah. And I just was like, oh, wow, we should do this more often, like interview each other and actually learn about each other. Cause for those of you who don't know, we've been together 13, 13 years. years. Good job, babe. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so then later that day, I thought this would be kind of fun to do on the podcast because we don't say yes to a lot of interview requests anymore. Yeah. Not cause we think we're too cool for it just because it's well, not. Well, you're busy and I'm cool. Right. That's that's the problem. So when someone emails, I'm doing stuff, I'm and like, Jason's ah, way too cool. Sorry. Right. Now, if one of us was just cool and the right. other was then available, maybe we'd say yes. We'd say yes. Mm, but it's the it perfect combo. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought, what if we on the pod did one episode where I get to interview you, yeah. and one episode where you get to interview me? So that's yeah. what we're doing. That's what we're doing. It's uh, the interviews. No one is having Series. any fraudy feelings about the questions that they're going to ask anybody. Uh, no one is worried, uh, that, so yeah, that, also we didn't, we didn't share the questions obviously yeah, with each other. Them. And um, so we're both feeling a little unsure yeah. because we also were very aware that we're different people. Yeah. And so we, I, yeah, we like our questions things. are probably going to be very different. Yeah. And so both of us are feeling a little insecure about how those, like, questions... I want to ask you all your numbers. Like, I want to know, like, how much money do you make? How much <laughs> money do you spend? You know, <laughs> and you want to ask me, it, like, babe. 
What are you well, feeling? Like, what do you, you know? Like, if but you the, could be but a butterfly. I know the answer to the questions that I would ask you. You know, it's like, how many website visitors does your website get yeah. every month? Like, and it's I'm, my website and too. I'm just dying for you to an- to ask me the yeah. questions I would uh, yeah, ask myself. Exactly. But exactly. that's not going to happen. What we should have done is this. What? What we should have done is written the questions out. We were going to ask the other person <laughs> and then swapped them. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we should There's have done. There's still time. Babe. There's still time. No, no we're this is the beautiful thing about um, this is we're different people. Yeah. So you're going to start. Uh-huh. You're going to interview, interview me. You. So if you're wondering, listener, why I'm maybe not asking questions back, it's because... It's because the... imagine I had a solo podcast exactly. and I asked Jason on. Exactly. Okay. Now I might ask some questions back. I mean, you just never know. Sure. Could be some things I've I'm learned. also a little nervous because I don't... I, I've only done like maybe like one or two like audio interviews where I was the interviewer in my life. But you life. never interviewed or interviewer. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did... Remember I did those like bonus interviews for my... Uh, connecting with your core way back in the day and i've only ever done uh interviews with a course as well which is kind of funny that's the only time either of us have done interviews okay, with well, a product this is not going to be that um all right so we're going to get into it uh if you hear like a hard stop and then it seems like we just like took a left turn it's we because got a big someone fight. asked a question that the other person didn't <laughs> want to answer and we cut it out <laughs> Real so talk. you get to just like a little inside of the old baseball yeah we decided here. that this was a fun idea and it probably shouldn't wreck our marriage all so. right are you gonna uh intro me real quick like are we gonna do like oh the, god no the full thing this is Jason. Okay. Last name Zook. Mm. He's had many last names. Cool. He is very tall. Taller than you think. Mm. Think about how tall you think he is. And when you meet him in person, he's even taller than that. But not like uncomfortably tall. Like, um, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't, we don't want to start this rumor <laughs> where like I walk up and people are like, Whoa. Yeah, no, not uncomfortably tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, just taller for than sure, most. The first time I met you was like, Whoa. <laughs> Living taller. in Portugal, I am the tallest person almost everywhere we go. <laughs> True. Not in like a. Not Again, scary. Way. No, no one's. You're like, not in the bell curve where you're just like way lurch. I'm not lurch. You're not lurching. You're, but you're. Almost. All right. I'm so sorry. I derailed your you beginning of this podcast interview. I'm not going to do an intro. Okay. It, Google him. <laughs> he does have a Wikipedia page. Me speaking in oh. the third person. Yeah, that's actually my. Did you cite that's some Wikipedia? Thirteenth question is how does it feel to have a Wikipedia page? Did you do any citations from my Wikipedia page? <laughs> <laughs> I read here uh, on Wikipedia. I just realized in order to do this interview, I probably should have read your books. Oh, nice, nice. I did read your books uh, when I edited them. I was once on a podcast about a book, and the interviewer was like, "I didn't even read this book, but uh, I'll ask you some questions about." It. I, I like, hate cool. that. That's cool. It's like you don't need to read the book, but definitely just don't, don't tell me. Say that. Yeah, just don't tell me. Yeah, that's rude. Yeah, just pretend. Um. All right. Okay, so here's where we're gonna start. Wonderful. It's a little bit of a left field question, but we're gonna start here. Where do you think your sense of humor comes from? Hmm. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think I know. Well, I th- then answer. Yeah, I think it's a coping mechanism to make my mom feel good in growing up together as a single parent. Okay, we went there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. I thought I, this I, was going to be a softball, but okay. No, no. Great, I, I just think in. if we're just being 100% totally honest, honest. Like let's if cut to the core of it. therapist was sitting here, uh, we could pramble on. That would that That, that is the answer. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, like, I grew up with a single mom until I was eight years old, and my dad was out of the picture immediately when I was born basically and so like I think just as a child like to make my mom as happy as I could and like to make her laugh and smile and to like you know get through some of the tough times Mm -hmm. because again we talked about this in a previous episode like we we didn't grow up poor quote unquote by like the definition of society that we know in as poor but we grew up with less than most and so you know I think that was just a 
a way for me as a kid to like make my mom happy. Mm. Do you have any early memories of like? I have no early memories. You could just well, let's there. talk about that. <laughs> this is something people would not know about you. I don't yeah. think we've mentioned it really. Maybe a few times offhandedly, but this is something that I learned about you once we first started dating. You have very few childhood I'm com- memories. I'm a compartmentalizer. Tell got me a, more about that. I got a lot of black boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about that. Like, yeah. do you, when you think about your childhood or do you just never think about your childhood? I never think about my never childhood. Never think about it. Never. Yeah. I mean, I, I try and think back to like early times, like when you're like, oh, when I was four, like I remember being a kid and like running around. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I remember like, I can remember a couple things. Like I remember living in like some type of like apartment complex townhouse thing where like, I remember like the covered doorway that we would go in. And I also remember that house had cockroaches that came out of the drains, which oh, I'll just I like never that. forget. But also like we lived in Florida and they did that oh, in, like in a perfectly nice it's house. So like Florida that thing. wasn't like a, we lived in a Squalor, terrible place. Right. Yeah. It was just like, no, they just like, I have some memory. And I have some it probably happened cockroach twice memories as well. in like seven years, but yeah. as a child, it's like traumatic. It sticks. Yeah. Um, so I remember some of that. I remember like going to the movies with my biological father's, mother so my grandmother mm-hmm. um and I remember like walking down like a tunnel in like a movie theater and just thinking it was like bright lights and like I thought I was going to like a new world mm. like it was just I'm sure like you go to like a AMC 24 now and like it's just literally the entrance like it's yeah. just like it's nothing at all <laughs> but you, in your mind it's like Willy but Wonka on, tunnel exactly totally it's like 300 feet long it was like oh just a foot that's all it was now do you think that your love of movies comes from those early formative memories or do you think you always love movies and that's why it's a core memory. Mm, I think I always loved movies. I remember, so again, like a couple of memories that, that do pop up. Like uh, I remember my mom making me Gordon's fish sticks. So the yellow box. <laughs> I could sing the song in my head. Yeah. With uh, the frozen fish sticks. That's not food, by the way. Um, and that's not a criticism of my mom. That's no. just like in general, that time in society, like pop tarts, fish sticks, hot pockets. Oh, none of, Tyson totinos, chicken, pizza rolls. chicken tenders. None of those things are food. It's just like, it's, it's processed amalgamation. But yeah, I remember watching like uh, movies on Saturday morning or like Saturday mm-hmm. morning cartoons. Mm-hmm. But then I also remember like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out on VHS or the Godzilla uh, movies, like the old ones, like the super old ones. Uh, I had those on VHS as a kid. Like I, I had, I had like four movies on VHS and right. I'm sure my mom got them at like the dollar bin. And so that's why it ended up being movies I watched. But I do, I do think it was probably pretty formative uh, that I went with my grandmother and like that was an outing that we did. Mm-hmm. I honestly, I cannot, and I'm sure it happened, but again, this is just a memory thing. I cannot remember going to a movie with my mom as a kid. Hmm. And I, I, I just attribute that to like she always had to work mm-hmm. to provide for us. Mm-hmm. So, But I'm sure we did. I just, I think of, when I think of as like a kid going to movies, it was my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Or then I was a teenager and I was going by myself and like driving myself to movies with friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. I think that is so interesting that you and I very early on, like on our first date, connected over movies and loving movies. And I think about some of the overlaps in the ways that we grew up. And I just think it's interesting that we now still to this day, like, you know, we've mentioned it. We do Saturday movie nights and things yeah. like that. And it's like free. It's like this. Co- I don't know if it's a coping mechanism oh, or if probably it's just, escapism. Or if it, yeah, yeah. Escapism. Yeah. Like it, but it's some, it's interesting to me that there's overlaps in our story in that regard. Um, you mentioned, you know, growing up with your mom, like, sh- would you say basically a single parent? Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I mean you it's, had... It's not really basically. Like, she was a single parent, for sure. And what do you think, growing up with basically a single parent, ha- like, what impact did that have on you 
growing well, up like yeah i think it makes you super independent mm-hmm. like i think that's why i can be alone by myself mm-hmm. forever mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know like obviously everybody needs human interaction but i think i need a lot less human interaction than most people because i probably had less human interaction while mom was working you know and and i was figuring out you know how to entertain myself which again probably why I like movies and things because it was stuff that i could do by myself um but yeah like i didn't have a father basically, you know, until I was eight. And then my mom remarried, had my sister. That was an abusive father relationship and mix of psychological and physical. And not like, it's not terrible. Like we just watched a movie with logic and like, that's like a whole different world, the rapper logic of like, like, and again, I'm not trying to like belittle the trauma that I had, but also like comparatively, like it was not, you know, you know, much, but you know, even, even having that father, like at the time you look at him as a father figure because he's there, but I'm also old, you know, I can look back now and be like, "Mm, that wasn't a good situation for me. And so, you know, moving, like I still had to be independent as I guess my point. And so, you know, even from there, and then when my mom remarried again, that was a much better father situation for Mm -hmm. me. But I think by that point I was like, starting to get into my teenage years and then like you're already trying to become independent by nature so like carrying all that independence through like I just do you think that you were subconsciously searching for male role models since like positive male role models since you didn't have that or do you think that your mom sort of had to play both roles and be kind of like the mom and the dad and you know I think of your mom as a very strong yeah. woman and I just wonder do you almost think of her as oh for sure that yeah. that she yeah. occupies that traditional space of like yeah yeah I think of mom as like everything right yeah like right like there's no void in me that's also like oh man I really wish I had a dad mm-hmm. like it's like I had a mom who did all of it mm-hmm. and so even if I'm saying like she wasn't there she was working a lot like she was she was there mm-hmm. it's just I'm just saying like I can remember being independent and like working through that. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I think of her that way. And I, we, we joke all the time, like when movies have like a, a happy dad moment, like the, actually the only movie with a dad moment that gets me all the time is chef, mm-hmm. the movie chef. And it's because it's like, I see my mom in that role mm-hmm. of like that, that dad, John Favreau's character trying to succeed and trying to make it and trying mm-hmm. to like, you know, be there. And it's obviously not that only similar. to kind of realize that it's the time, it's the quality yeah. time together. Yeah. And and I do think I've always thought it's interesting that chef, the movie has a very like redemptive father arc yeah. to it. And I think maybe that's why you resonate with it because it like kind of speaks to that healing that I think deep down, maybe you wish you had, but yeah. And it's I mean, also joyful and playful yeah. and creative. And like, I, I think about like my mom definitely like she, helped me like get into sports like I played every sport as a kid Uh I was a rock star Uh, football now that we live on this side of the world but soccer player yeah we have a VHS tape to prove it Um, but I was like nine years old and just like running circles around other kids it really wasn't that great I was just better than all the kids who were like picking their nose that's Um, so interesting do you think that I've thought about this recently do you think that being good at something or feeling like you're good at something early on in your childhood positively propels you forward like builds confidence oh for sure like how couldn't it you know what i mean but i think it's dangerous because if that's where you get your all of your self-worth right then you you're you see all these stories of child athletes who then like struggle to like kind of cope in the world because they're always trying to one-up and like feel that way i was just good enough Mm. that like 
like I was on a, a team that won regionals or something like that for pop warner football but like i didn't play like i just like i was kind of like too small at the time so like i didn't really feel like i earned much of the success well you didn't i really didn't i remember they called a play for me i was this is like i I don't know i'm like 10 or 11 maybe and uh i was i think a tight end and but like when you're that age you play like all the positions you're just like run out there and just like smack into another child but i remember it was like the one play where they're like all right jason like they're going to hike the ball. You just run straight and they're going to throw you the ball. And I'll just never forget, like, I just took off and I never looked back for the ball. <laughs> and I could just remember hearing, like, my mom screaming in the background, like, look for the ball. Never looked back. I'll, I just, like, ran. Like, it was my one time to shine and I did not know what to do. Uh, anyway, sorry. Well, I wanted to ask about sports, actually, because I didn't know until, like, a little bit into our relationship that – I knew that you loved basketball. I knew that you were very good at basketball. I knew that you, I mean, you were a college basketball player. You played for a D1 team. Didn't, didn't fully get to play, but was You didn't get to, to play, yeah. but you made yeah. the team. Yeah. Okay. Um, and was on scholarship, if I recall yeah. correctly. Yeah. But I remember finding out that you didn't actually get into basketball until like pretty late in your high school years. Yeah. yeah. When I was a sophomore in high school was the first time I picked up a basketball. When I was a junior in high school was the first time I like played in a game like at all with other people what was the catalyst for that was it just that you got tall uh we moved so we moved from california to virginia when i was like 12 somewhere around there we can't trust any of your can't trust any of these timelines timelines. also i don't really know the difference in children between like 5 and 15 so like i could have been anywhere in there it's somewhere around there and so that stopped like for some reason, I didn't go into like continue playing football, probably because I wasn't very good. Uh, <laughs> probably because you never looked back for the ball. Never looked back for the ball. Uh, could have played a lot of different positions where I didn't have to track the ball. You should what's, have gone track. What's and really <laughs> ironic about that is when when I became good at basketball, my hand eye coordination went through the roof, and so like I would play flag football, and like I was tooting my own horn, very good at flag football because I could jump. Because I could catch and because I could track the ball really well. You learned how to look, but for it was it. way too late. Like way too late. I firmly believe if there's like one humble brag thing that I could say about myself athletically I think had in a different life had I started with football I could have played in the NFL if I had started with football it's like from the very beginning because like my size my hand-eye coordination again we established my athleticism yeah like I I was given the gifts to do that I just never went down that path so anyway getting back to the basketball thing when I moved to Virginia um for some reason, I didn't get it. Like, I think I was, I thought I was probably too slow to play soccer anymore mm-hmm. or just like fell out of love with it. Hated baseball, worst sport in the world. And then I think basketball was just kind of like the next thing, but I didn't, I didn't play it in Virginia to my recollection because I was only there for a short period of time. And then we moved to New Jersey. It was, a, I think, a way to like, again, I was an independent kid and I didn't know anybody. And so I, I'm guessing my mom probably was like, well, like, let's get him a basketball hoop. Mm-hmm. And then he can like be outside and play. And we had like a big driveway. And so I think that's like where it started. Here's what's interesting to me is the how way- How am I doing, by the way? You're how doing we, great. I'm how loving are you this. Doing? I'm learning new things about you. How are you doing? Oh, I'm killing, killing it. it. Okay. Killing it. Got it. <laughs> um, what's interesting to me is the way that you speak about yourself in the realm of athletics is with such confidence and like pride that I only hear you really talk about yourself in that way, like when it probably comes to business. But it made me think, going back to my question about early on you having this memory of being like good at soccer. And it made me wonder if 
because I know you and I know how hard socially it was for you growing up because you were moving all the time. And I'm curious about what you think may be the uh, role that sports played in building up your own self-confidence because in these like more social realms, you were feeling more insecure. I mean, you were, you were bullied if I got that right. So I don't know. Tell me about the difference in feeling that you got between I'm just a kid walking into a cafeteria and trying to make new friends for the first time versus I'm joining the basketball team and I'm actually good at this. Well, joining the basketball team, I was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so same. Yeah, they yeah, feel yeah. the same. Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe like fast forward to like your senior year, you're playing, you're actually pretty good. But I'm not. That's the thing. Like I, I really wasn't good. I was, I was decent my senior year but I really didn't get good until the summer between which is why it was really weird like I came and did like a walk-on tryout for college Mm -hmm. and that's where I was actually given part of an athletic scholarship was because it was like oh wow like if we looked at I don't even think I had a tape for high school like just because I didn't have anything really to put on tape it was like oh like you in the tryout is good enough like that was the thing but anyway but when you think of yourself as an athlete you think of yourself as a good athlete but after high school okay yeah 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 so moving around a ton I went to four different high schools as you learned in our lunch conversation the other day started out in Virginia at the first high school as a freshman I was literally only there for like I think like a month or two again my timing is all off on this but I'm pretty sure it wasn't that long maybe it was six months I don't know you know mom would have the actual uh, receipts here for this But then moved to New Jersey because mom's job and then stepdad at the time were he was already working out of New York and then different stepdad. Different stepdad. And then she got a job in New York. So we lived in New Jersey as people do and they commute in and out. So I ended up we were renting a house and uh, I went to a school, but then come to find out like a couple months into going to that school, I was in the wrong like the house that we were renting was half in one district, half in the other. And so it was more in the half that I had to go to another school. So I transferred right away. So now I'm at three high schools within like one year, which if anybody ever remembers anything about high school, the first time you go to a school sucks. The second time is really hard. The third time really sucks. And my third high school was a very affluent. uh, Actually, I got that wrong. I went to the, I went to, in New Jersey. I We're was opening the, a couple black boxes I here. <laughs> I was in the the house that was dual zoned. I went to the closer one, the one that the address was in. And they said, no, you're in the county. Even though your address is in this town, you're in the county of this other school. You have to go to the other school. So I, I literally, I went to this, it's Mountain Lakes, just because this is quantified easier with the name. Mountain Lakes was the, the school that I was in the town of, the, mm-hmm. the, the address was in. I went there for like two months and they're like, no, you have to go to the other school. Ugh. I go to the other school. So now I'm at my third high school, Virginia, Mountain Lakes, and this other school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm there. Then my my mom and stepdad buy a house literally down the street. But then now that's fully in the county of the first high school in Mountain Lakes. No. So then I have to leave and go back to that school. No. Yeah. So anyway, that, that tells you a lot about my high school experience. And I did not fit in in any of them. Mm-hmm. All, four, all four of them. I did you have any out. like did you have any friends? Did you feel like a loner? Like what was your, no, I mean, I think, I think fortunately, like all of my humor tools Mm -hmm. that I had built up, um, you know, I, I was again, independent as a kid. And I kind of, at that point in my life was just like, I mean, you're a teenager, so you still care what people think, but I was like already bleaching my hair blonde out of just like rebellion and just like not caring. So that did attract like a certain type of group of people. And so like I met, I really don't remember any people from 
um, <laughs> except for the kid that I became good friends with in Virginia. But that was more in middle school than in high school. Mm -hmm. And I got my initials on my back tattooed in Korean because mm -hmm. he was Korean. His mm -hmm. name was Wes. And like we were just like best buds and like watch mm -hmm. Dragon Ball Z. Okay, I, so you didn't get the tattoo in middle school. No, not in middle school when I was 17. But, I'd already, but like, Wes made such an impact on oh, you yeah, that yeah, you were yeah. like... Yeah, yeah. Now, just to be clear, they're yeah. not Wes's initials on they, your back. Oh, I don't know. I don't speak <laughs> Korean. <laughs> they okay, could be. They could be. Yeah, this is one of those, Wes, those, one of those ragrets. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so I, you know, at the, at the first time going to Mountain Lakes, I didn't really have enough time to meet anybody. I remember like mm -hmm. being in the cafeteria, eating by myself, like getting made fun of all those things. And this was a very affluent school. So like people are already asking. Not only are you the nature. new kid, but yeah. you're like, and comparatively, you're kind of like the. It's tiny. Like the whole four year high school, total amount of people in that school was like 200. It's like, like a OC yeah, yeah, vibe. Yeah, so small. Yeah. With no ocean or beautiful views. Right. But I just meant like the yeah, yeah. whole premise of the show, the OC yeah. is like, is this like rich kids. Exactly. And then you're kind of the new bad yeah. boy in town. Yeah. But at the other With school, bleach hair. I did end up meeting a couple people, Alan, who you mm -hmm. knew and met a, a bunch of times. And like he and I became good friends and we stayed friends long after I left that school. Mm -hmm. And so we hung out. But then getting back to the sports question, I don't know what led me. I think it was just because I was like playing basketball in my driveway. And then like, you know, in like re quote unquote recess times or break times in high school, I would just go into the gym and just like shoot hoops by myself mm -hmm. and like, you know, run around and be dumb. And I think I probably ran into a couple people there that were also doing the same thing. And then they were going to try out for the team. And they're like, oh, like. So you sports know. was kind of like your way in socially. Totally. In yeah. a way. Yeah, because I wasn't going to like, I didn't really think that like the whole money thing when, you know, my mom got a better job and then, you know, married this other stepdad and he had money. And so like, I didn't like. I didn't feel like I was in the money crowd. So when I got to that school, like that just, that didn't feel like a way for me to like relate to Pay other your kids. way into yeah. the social circles. It was more of like, oh, well I'm kind of goofy and awkward and like independent, but like I like sports. And then I ran into some people who were kind of also in that, mm. you know, a little bit outliers. You mentioned this word rebellious that I want to dig into a little bit because when I think of you and the core person that you are, obviously humor was one of the first things that came to my mind, which is why I started with that question. But also, I don't know what the word is for it, but you are perhaps of anybody I've ever met personally, the most like rebellious isn't quite the right word for it, but I wrote down rejecting convention. Yeah, You're allergic to convention. Whatever is the normal thing, whatever is the accept expected thing, you, you, you look for boundaries and you sort of are allergic to them and run the opposite direction. And I'm interested about whether you think you were always that way, or do you think that it was parts of your environment and your upbringing that cultivated that? Yeah, I think it, I mean, I definitely know that it's in my DNA because I remember my mom telling stories of me being a child and like doing things just differently. And like, you know, there's this classic story of, I think it was like, sixth grade math or something like that where you know I got all the questions right on an algebra test but the teacher was like oh but he didn't show his work and it was like yeah but he got them right like why does he have to show his work and she's like well that's how you have to do it and it was like well you're barking up the wrong tree with that because like he's just not going to do it that way and so clearly it was there mm -hmm. and like I'm sure there are even other examples you know when I was younger um but yeah I think I think it's it's always a been part of me but then I think as I ch changed schools and changed friend groups and changed things like and changed different like authority figures throughout my life and parents and other things like it just kind of 
it got like worn into me of just falling in line and doing things the way they're supposed to be done just felt incongruent to like living a life that felt good to me I guess well yeah and I imagine if you're having to withstand so much change and be so adaptable why would your brain tell you that it's a good strategy to follow the rules because the rules are always changing on you do you know what I mean so it's like if you go to this school and you're like, hey, we do it this way here and your brain's like, okay, I'll do it this way. And then you're just going to go to a different school two months later. And do so I wonder if it was almost this developed personality trait that said, listen, I've tried to play by the rules yeah. and they keep changing on me. So I'm just going to write my own because it's like such a losing game. Yeah. And also Does that resonate at all. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then also like trying to fit in didn't work. Mm-hmm. So it was like, the more I tried to fit in, the more I got made fun of or I got mm-hmm. bullied or whatever. So I was like, well, I'm not just going to, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm just going to do things my own way because at least that won't be painful. You know, like that won't right. be difficult to deal with. I, I wonder what role your mom played in that because I think one of the most amazing things that she did raising you was exactly what you described. I remember her telling me that story where she really sort of, I think a lot of parents would tamper that down within their kids oh, yeah. and she, say like, no, no, no. Yeah, like yeah. the best way to like life is to try to fit in. And yeah. she just sort of always allowed, allowed your yeah. rejection of convention to, to flourish. Totally. Yeah. I think, I think as a parent, she did a fantastic job of like understanding who I was as a child and like being okay with the fact that I was rebellious or different or, or didn't fit in these boxes. And then also like creatively, like I think she allowed for a ton of creativity and, and probably because it was a way for me to just like be independent and like do my own thing. So it's like playing with toys and like making up worlds for them and drawing and like all these different things like that allowed for me to be able to entertain myself. Mm-hmm. And so she just like embraced that and, and was very happy for me to be a creative kid, which is in- incredibly formative for me as an adult getting into business stuff because creativity has led the way to all the things that we've been doing. Mm-hmm. What role do you think that learned adaptability that, that you had to learn changing schools and all these environments, what impact do you think that had on becoming an entrepreneur? Oh yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's enormous, but the funny thing is, is that it, it actually didn't really I didn't really do anything with it until multiple normal jobs and then a normal nine to five job. And it wasn't until I sat at a desk every day, realized like, oh, I don't like the way this feels. Probably because my entire existence up until that point, I'm always changing and doing things and like, you know, feeling the rush of something new, whether it's good or bad, like it's still a different rush I'm feeling. But like the monotony of showing up to a beige desk in a beige chair, in a beige monitor, in a beige walls. And like, even though I was a graphic designer, like it was the most mundane and boring thing that I could think of to do. And that's not to belittle people who do that. It was just like, for me, I just all of a sudden realized like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do this for the next like 30 years of my life. This will kill me. Like I just, and I don't mean that in like a terrible way. I mean like it will, I will die inside. Crush your soul. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that we've dug into your past, it does kind of surprise me that you even tried to go towards yeah, a normal well, and I path? do th- I do think that's I wouldn't say pressure because I definitely don't remember getting any pressure from my mom about it but I do think that was probably a like 
do this thing for my parents because they want me to go to college. They want me to get a degree because also in their defense, it's the year 2000, like the internet barely exists. So like, what other options are there? Like, I'm not going to like flip real estate <laughs> as a, you know, 18 year old. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing, right. but it's, it's more of like at that time, you know, we had a gateway computer, uh, you know, I'm bopping around in HTML and like being in chat rooms and, you know, starting websites like GeoCities and things like that are starting to come up and like, but you don't really see how it could be a business. We all laugh about that, but like, what is the path? And the only path that I had was, I told you this, you know, when we were having this deep and meaningful was like a Nintendo internship had popped up mm-hmm. that was for like a programmer. But I think at the time it was literally just like writing HTML. Like it wasn't for like coding games. It was for like building a website and mm-hmm. do, doing things like that. And, and so that actually seemed really interesting to me, but I think it was probably in my, in, you know, full defense of my mom. She was like, what? Like, I don't know what this is. Like mm-hmm. you need to go to college so that you can get a degree that you could like do something with your talents, mm-hmm. which looking back, like, that's the logical thing to do, you know? Yeah, and I do. It's, uh, sorry, I was going to yeah, say, go it's so easy to look back and be like, should have chased the entrepreneurship thing, but into what? Like yeah. the internet wasn't formed enough yeah. to really know what that could have been at that time. Right. It's like the opportunities were not only much, 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 much less, but they were also hidden. Yeah. So it's like twofold. It's like the opportunities are less yeah. and you don't know they exist. What little opportunities there are. Also in that time, if you think about like, this is like when PayPal is being built. Like I'm not building PayPal. I'm right. like coding Dragon Ball Z websites. Like, right. I, you know, like it's a whole different world that I wasn't existing in. It in does that. amaze me because I think of your history and I think, God, all of these factors come together to, there is, you know, it's such a quintessential past of an entrepreneur, right? Creative, rebellious, like entrepreneurial thinker, whatever. But you think of you existing 40 years ago and maybe you don't have any outlet outlet whatsoever. Totally. I'm just getting soul crushed at a job. Like that's it. Um, my first I said 40, I'm, I always think it's the year 2000. So I I meant like really 70. (laughs) Um, I think back to, um, you know, I was having these like part-time jobs while I was in college and, None of them were really satisfying enough in like a creative way at all. But I remember like eBay started to come around. Mm -hmm. And I also remember this is where like the technology bug started to hit me. And this is where I bought cell phones on eBay that were literally from like China, Korea, Japan, Vietnam. But they're like this... Uh, evolution of technology and cell phones had just started, which was like the the SIM card that you uh-huh. could then take out and put in other phones. So I could buy these phones that literally, like some of them weren't even in English, but they were so unique. Like a phone was so tiny, like the Will Ferrell joke in Saturday Night Library, like flip some of the phone. Like I had a phone like that. That was like, it truly existed. Mm. And like, I just remember buying these phones. I would use them for like three weeks. It would be a funny thing that I would show my friends as like the goof, like, like I'm class clowning with like a cell phone that I can barely use. And then I would just like turn around and sell them on eBay. And like, I just like made this like tiny career, but that was like really my first. Okay. So when is that? When are you doing that? That's my. Are you college? Oh yeah. 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 That's my sophomore or junior year of college. So like freshman year of college, I was supposed to play basketball. I got injured just playing in like a five on five pickup game and didn't play. Mm -hmm. And so I was at um, Jacksonville university in Florida um, and I hated that school because it was a yet another small school that was just like tiny and like clicky. And so I was like, and also super expensive because it was a private school. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to go to UNF, which is the like neighboring school, but it's more of a public school. It's a bigger school. It's a commuter school. So like that made a lot of sense to me because then I could, I made good friends at 
so you can keep my your first friends. college. So we actually got an apartment together and half of us went to one school and half of us went to another yeah. school. Um, and then it was, so my sophomore year, that was just like, I just had like part-time jobs and things. That was my athlete's foot time. Yep. Um, selling shoes. Uh, for those who don't know what athlete's foot is, it's a shoe company that may not exist anymore because terrible name. <laughs> and, but, you know, still going to classes. And then that, that was like the year after that, I moved in with Travis, who we actually just met up with here. If you listen to the Pramble uh, many episodes ago, who lives in Berlin, he was my uh, original freshman year roommate at Jacksonville University, but I was terrible to him and he moved out. And then we moved back in together in an apartment. And that is when I started the eBay because I was already dabbling a little bit out of the dorm room or out of our first apartment too, but like I couldn't really, I didn't really do too much. But for some reason, getting into that apartment, I'll never forget like that was the start of all of everything. So was would you say that's your first like entrepreneurial venture because you're selling cell phones at that point? I think so. I mean, I definitely, I definitely made like a couple websites here and there for money. For money, but it wasn't enough that mm. like, I don't even remember like what they were for. Do you did you learn any like? tips from your cell phone flipping photography okay like how to take good photos interesting because this even translates to now right like when we sold all of our stuff to leave in 2022 i mean i was it sounds silly everybody knows it today when you're taking like photos to sell things online but like i'm still doing the same thing i did back then i'm taking more photos than most people do i'm cleaning up a background like it sounds so straightforward now but 22 years ago when you're selling something on ebay someone's like, why would I take more than one photo? You can see it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I'll just take eight photos because like there's other parts of this that look good. So it's like that. And then also like writing headlines. Like I remember uh-huh. like putting like asterisks in things and headlines and just like to catch someone die. Yeah. Literally yeah. just to like, uh, I would pay for the bold. Like you could pay like 25 cents to bold the headline. <laughs> oh. Cause I'm like, it's an investment. It's going to stand out. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. This idea of going above and beyond what, a normal person would do that I feel like shows up in like you have brought that to our businesses. Never had a cell phone go unsold. Never. (laughs) Jason's eBay store. Never had a cell phone go unsold. I still have my same eBay username from back then. It's like a Dragon Ball Z reference. Of course it is. Yeah. I wish we had more time to cover Dragon Ball Z. Oh, I'm so sorry. Maybe part two if people like this. We Maybe can come part two around. if yeah. people like this. I have a whole collection. That's like the, one of the one things that I kept from our multiple moves. I didn't keep it. Was Mom your kept it. Dragon, Ball, my Z Dragon Ball Z collection. Well, collections are hot, man. I know. Well, I probably should have taken better care of it and like wrapped things nicely because it could actually be worth something in like 50 years, but that's all right. It's more of just keepsake. Anyway. Um, blazing right ahead yeah, in yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to shift gears into the Irish shirt years. Okay. And I don't want to, I don't want you to touch too much on like the origins of I wear your shirt because there's plenty asking this. I'm just going to pop up and shut the door because there's hammering going on, but go ahead. Okay. There's plenty of interviews on the internet out there where you can find, you know, the story of how I wear your shirt was started and I'm less interested in that. And I'm more interested in digging into what the experience was like, kind of being behind a business that kind of rose to visibility and well first for anyone who doesn't actually have any context can you give us a short description of what I rear shirt was so that someone at least has a little bit of background absolutely so in 2008 I'm standing in my closet and I'm looking at shirts that all have different brands on them and at the same time I'm running a design company I had left my nine-to-five job and started a design boutique as I liked to call it with a friend <laughs> 
and we were building websites for different companies and apps and things at that time. And it was going like pretty well, but I just, I, I kind of had this like urge and also was hearing from our clients of like these social media apps like Twitter and Facebook, like what are these things against 2008? So like Facebook is still closed to college, Twitter, basically no one is using yet. Like YouTube is a nothing. Like there's a panda, you know, rolling around video, like that's it. <laughs> and I remember walking into my closet, seeing all these shirts and being like, why am I wearing all these companies and not like I'm, I'm paying for the shirt that I'm wearing these, these companies names around. And so it just hit me. I was like, oh, this, I, this could be interesting. I could wear a shirt with a company's name on it. I could promote them on these social media platforms where people are starting to put their attention and I could create things, you know, photos, videos, tweets, like messages around those things and get paid for it. And so essentially through a, a bunch of different like chats with friends and mentors and random people on Twitter, I came up with this idea of iwearyourshirt.com and I was going to wear a different shirt every single day in 2009, starting with the price of $1 on the first day, $2 on the second day, $3 on the third day. So you pay face value for the day of the year. And the whole idea was I would wear your shirt on the internet and promote it on social media. And this is before influencer marketing is even... Doesn't exist. Years before it's even thought of. And what I think is so interesting when I look back at the timeline of everything is, you know, like you said, this is 2009, eight, really. So at the time, the only thing that you're starting to see is maybe a few businesses starting like a Facebook page or a Twitter account yeah, I, as I the mean, brand. I remember... But you don't, you don't have normal people talking about brands and getting paid. Oh no. I remember I Justine and sure. like Jenna Marbles and like these were people that were starting to get on YouTube or maybe they were on YouTube at that time, but they like they had no idea what they were doing either. They were just like I like technology, I like I'm kind of a goofball, like I'm just going to share some And they're things. certainly not doing paid no, brand not at all. integration. Not at all. It's just creating content. And I you know, I think it'd be really funny to like I don't know if I Justine has ever done an interview. For those of you who don't know, I Justine is she's like a very famous YouTube personality who like lives in the technology space and she's been around forever. Like literally started before I did, and I feel like I started like super early. Mm -hmm. But I really wonder like when she made her first dollar on YouTube mm -hmm. and what was it for? Was it for a paid kind of like integration slash brand deal? Or was it like when AdSense started and she started to make money because there were ads in front of her videos? I would have to imagine it was ads first. I think so too. But you know. Also, as I started to do what that's I did. that's like a totally different model, right? So yeah. that's not like, that's not the I wear shirt model of like, I'm a brand and I'm paying to be associated with this regular content creator. Yeah. It's more of like, oh, I'm, it's more of an ad placement than a sort of integration. Now that I think back about it, I'm like, was anybody literally getting paid on YouTube for anything other than AdSense? So you're wondering if you were the first like brand sponsorship basically? Right. Maybe. I mean, I'm not saying that to my own horn. I already it's had my one humble brag of this interview. <laughs> uh, it's more of like a, oh, maybe more, I was. More of a curiosity. Anyway. We could do some research. Really we'll have yeah. our, um, our producer, producer yeah. research that. Dr. In Swanson. The, in the fact. <laughs> Dr. Swanson's got us. Um, what I'm more What was your question, though? You no, asked I just question. wanted you to give context. So people now oh, yeah. know what I wear your shirt was. But by the time you and I met in 2010, like spring of 2010, so I wear your shirt had been really you'd been doing it for a year and a half at that point i was famous at that point i am interested <laughs> in this idea because you were you were mini famous i would say right yeah by that point by the time we met you had been on cbs evening news they had done a spot on oh you. I, this is yeah that's why i've been on, been on, on the everything. new york times yeah. you had been on everything yeah and 
you know, we had a couple of interactions where like you would get recognized literally and that felt kind of weird, but I'm curious from your perspective, we don't talk a lot about what that felt like, the, the visibility of it, the acknowledgement of it. And I'm curious about at the peak of I wear your shirt when you tasted this like little dose of like, you know, an E-list celebrity. Yeah. What was I used to say Z-list celebrity, so you're giving me way more credit. Yeah, I don't like think you were 20 e. more letters. I think credit. that was generous. Yeah. I, I would call you an L-list celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm I got dropped pretty far there from me to L. I'm just being honest. All right. Um can I be H? How about J? Is, is J lower than L? Great. Now I don't even know the alphabet. J is a two spots before L, so I'll give you J. I'll be a J for list. Yeah, exactly. Jason, yeah. you're a J level Better celebrity. Better than Z for Zook, you know? <laughs> I'm curious, what were some of the... For people who will never experience right. that, what were some of the good parts about that? And then what were some of the shitty parts about that? Yeah, I... So I got enough notoriety that sometimes... I would be walking around and someone would recognize who I was. Mm -hmm. Like if you remember when we were in Durham, North Carolina, mm -hmm. we were walking through Tobacco Road, which is like a very like, you know, outdoor dining space thing. And like we literally walked by a restaurant and someone like yelled like t-shirt guy mm -hmm. and like said hello. You it know, happened to us another time in Durham when we were eating sushi. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. I think it was like the person came up after. They were like, yeah, I yeah. want to bother you yeah, yeah. during your meal. I'm yeah. like, I'm not like. Brad but also, Pitt. thank you. But also, thank you. True. Like, that was, that's but very it was just when you very hear of celebrities thing. to get like hounded. Yeah. So, like, I had, I had just the right amount of that that like really tickles your ego. Cause right. it's just like, it makes you feel so good that someone recognized you for a, a thing stranger, that right? you did. Um, so, like, that was definitely a very fun part of it because it's like, it you just, feel important, right? Yeah, for sure. It's like everybody grows up wanting to be rich and famous and like, you know, all well, these... certainly of our yeah, age. Yeah, for sure. Now I think there's enough... A little bit of like, oh yeah, that's not all I think still probably because I think you've seen people throw on that statistics of like 80% of kids now want to be YouTubers. Yeah. And I think that's what they want is like fame, right? Yeah. Um, so I think, I, I honestly, like looking back, um, I think I had just like the perfect amount of quote-unquote celebrity mm -hmm. like just enough where like some random people would see me and I'll tell you one of the funniest things that happened at that time that made the biggest jump was I was on an interview for maybe it was like MSNBC and they syndicated that interview through Jiffy Lube and like this network <laughs> that's in like if you're ever sitting in a waiting room of a place where you're waiting for like your, your car fix or your dental office or whatever. Yeah. And there's like a looping, like they don't do it anymore because now they just like, so with streaming services, it's easy to just set up. But that wasn't and a thing back then. Now. Literally, uh, like the amount of people that would say like, I saw you in it was a Jiffy Loop <laughs> waiting for my oil to get changed. Because it just like, it ran on loop constantly there, I guess. And it was probably like an interesting story that they just, so I'll never forget like, when it hit Jiffy Lube was like, it was like a whole other level. It was like, I would get more emails. I would get more notoriety. And the good thing was, is it never got to a place where I couldn't go out without, like we could still go to the movies or whatever. And mm -hmm. like, no one would notice, you never you felt know? like your privacy was invaded. Never. And then, so that was probably like one of the best things. Cause it just made you feel good. Like it really did. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Am I glad that it's over? And do I love anonymity now? Absolutely. I don't mm -hmm. want to be recognized by anybody. Well, that's what was going to be my next question is, do you feel like having a taste of that though, makes being more anonymous that much sweeter because, For sure. because you never hit this place where you can't go back. I think of this now of some 
celebrities who kind of not over I know overnight success is a very rare thing but someone who had like a viral song or yeah. something like that and then they just got propelled yeah and like like we watched the Lewis Capaldi documentary and I'm like Lewis can never go back yeah exactly. right like there is no more anonymity ever and I imagine for a celebrity that would actually like really really freak me out psychologically yeah. because it's you can never undo it and yeah. so you're in the rare position where you only made it to J yeah. level yeah. and so you went back you went back yeah. And so what were some of the crappier parts about it that now maybe give you more gratitude for being anonymous? Um, I mean, I think, and again, I only had a small taste of it, but just like some of the like negative commentary and like mm -hmm. DMs or messages or emails or like that type of stuff of like people feeling like they have some type of like say or opinion in your life. The funny thing is, is now like everybody deals with that. If you're on right. Instagram, you don't have a a private account, you're getting those Everyone's messages. Everyone's a mini celebrity, Yeah, right. like you're, you have probably gotten some type of form of that in some way. But like, you know, 10 years ago, that was only happening to like a small handful of people or like actual celebrities, A, B, C, D, and other list celebrities. And, and how did you, tell me about that experience of like, like, do you remember the first time you got a negative comment or do you remember the early days of that? Oh yeah, dig.com. Okay. So I had a story. This was actually the very beginning of I Reassure, but I dig.com is basically what Reddit has become, right. but early on. And it was just a different version of that that Kevin Rose started and then ended up getting sold and, and moved on. And it was a bunch of other things too, but like there was a big, like, the kind of the face of the internet, like what's going on. Right. It's like what's popular on the internet today. Exactly. And so I, someone posted I Reassure there, and a bunch of people just were like, this is the stupidest idea. This guy looks stupid. Like, you know, how, how would it, why would anybody pay this they loser? They always go to the looks. Always, always. Yeah, always. that's what people do. It's people who are hurt inside, especially from superficial commentary in their lives, right. then project that on other people. Right. So at the time, I did not have the foresight to understand why that was happening. I was very angry about it. Mm -hmm. But I also, weirdly, was too busy to worry about it. Interesting. Because I had to film a video every day for YouTube, which I had never done before. So I had to operate a camera. I had to edit it. I had to upload it. I had to record a live video show for an hour. I had to engage on Twitter and Facebook. I had to take photos on Flickr. This is every day without every single day. a break. Every single day. 889 days straight without a single day off. 889 days. Filming and editing a video plus, plus doing yeah. a live show every day. There's a reason why we can't stay consistent on YouTube. And it's probably because I just have PTSD from filming 1600 videos and I don't mean to belittle PTSD in any way whatsoever I understand that it is a true trauma response but like I typically uh, when we go to edit a video like I feel a certain negative way toward that process mm -hmm. that will probably never go away because yeah. I did it 1600 times in five years you do anything that takes a certain amount of stress that much that fast well I definitely do want to dig into the toll that that eventually took on you but let's get back into the comments for a second because yeah. I'm really interested in this this is something about your personality that I actually want to learn from <laughs> so I'm glad I brought you to this interview today yeah, yeah. I'm because you now fast forward to current day you do have this ability to sort of like not care what people think about you and as someone who really does struggle with that I've, I've gotten better over time but yeah. it's not my nature I am just curious about maybe some lessons I could learn from you. So, so there was a time where you did care. Um, I, I think I cared, but not to a point where it derailed me for too long. Do you think this also even goes way back to like the high school thing where, yeah, that hurt in the moment, but that was your sort of ground for thickening up your skin. Because again, going back to the ways that your brain 
adapted in order to protect you. It goes, yeah, kids are going to make fun of me. Kids are going to say X, Y, and Z about me. But if I let that take me down, like I'm not going to survive this. So I got to yeah. come up with ways to thicken up my skin. Like, do you think it goes as far back as that? I think so. I think it goes back even further to like being an independent kid and mm -hmm. having to like entertain myself. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to please anybody else. Interesting. You in don't that. have this feedback loop. No, I have no dynamics that I'm trying to juggle. Mm -hmm. I have my own dynamics that mm -hmm. I'm trying to entertain and to do something with. That's it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I think, and I heard this on our recent podcast, I think it was our friend Michelle Rohr's podcast, where she was talking about, you know, people pleasing stems from as a child, you were trying to make everybody happy and yeah. you were, you know, all this like family dynamic stuff. I didn't really have that. Interesting. I mean, I did have a tiny bit of it, but I really rebelled against it when it got to like beyond well, and eight also years old. You have this unstable, I mean, family unit, right? Yeah, like, for sure. It's like it's changing. changing. Yeah. It's changing all yeah. the time. So it's not like you are falling into these well-worn grooves of like making everybody happy. And that's so interesting. I never thought of that, of like kind of your independence and kind of loner thing where it's like, you're not getting into this feedback loop in a social circumstance where yeah. you're going, oh, the way that I succeed is by forming myself. Because it could have gone that way for oh, sure for yeah, because absolutely. you're adapting. It could have gone like, oh, all people please because this is the only way I can survive. Right. But you went the other direction, went, which yeah. was like, my only way of survival is to actually not play this game. It's to entertain myself. And to know that, like, I can work through this on my own. Which is very similar to what we discovered about your brain's reaction to conforming and norms and yeah. stuff. It's like it could have gone the way of, like, okay, the rules are always changing, but, like, let me adapt myself. Let me be a chameleon. Let me fit in. Yeah. And your brain just was like, this is a losing game. Yeah. Maybe it's, like, your efficiency brain in you where it's just, like, this is actually a very inefficient way to, like, fit in. Yeah. Because it's going to always change. So why not just, like, establish that foundation right out of the gate? Yeah. And validate yourself yeah and i mean truthfully anybody who has published anything on the internet that has commentary on it it has had any any type of growth or like actual numbers to it and like let me quantify that so like let's say you make a youtube video and it gets a hundred comments on the youtube video. i mean even probably like 20 comments is enough probably 19 of the comments are like, this is great. Great job. I love what you did. But you have that one comment that's yeah. like, your head looks stupid. And you're like, great, cool. Can't fix the shape of my head, but thanks so much for saying that. But then like, you can't stop thinking about that one comment. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think what happened for me over time, especially with I wear your shirt, because I'd never done anything publicly up until that point. Like the only public thing I'd ever done was play sports with other people. Like you're in a group, like you're, you know, it doesn't mm -hmm. really matter. But I remember getting enough of those comments of the dig.com commentary, like YouTube comments, people randomly messaging me on Twitter, whatever, like all these things would happen. And it's just like one after the other, you just go like, none of this matters. Mm -hmm. Like, because you know what? I have a hundred other people who are super happy with what I'm doing. And honestly, like I think doing the live show every single day, mm -hmm. that's literally one of the best things anybody could do to sharpen their skills in dealing with people especially people on the internet because a lot of days it's not fun like mm -hmm. you did a lot of those live shows mm -hmm. with me after you know joining my life and being a part of the i wear your shirt thing and like you you probably remember what it was like like some days it was just like so amazing and like there's so many fun people who are there that you're chatting with but some days it's like you get a couple of trolls in there and like it really derails you but you got to figure out how to deal with it mm -hmm. and so like i just constantly figured out how to deal with it so fast forward all the way to today like if we get a negative comment or a negative email like it bothers me for literally a fraction of a second and then I'm just like I don't care well it's going back to what you were saying about 
your brain just goes, I have work to do. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to let this derail me. Like, I got to get back to work. Yeah. And I think that is an incredible quality because I do, you know, I struggle with that a little bit. Like it, and I, like I said, I've gotten better, but I watch the way that you can just handle things. And I think, I think it comes from being so sure of yourself. And when I'm, when I do feel that way, when I feel like it gets to me too much, I remind myself to just be more like you in the sense of like to validate myself. Right. It's like, you know, if someone said something and it made me feel like, Oh, I said the wrong thing or I'm not a good person or like whatever. Cause that's my, that's my soft spot is yeah. like saying the wrong thing or hurting someone's feelings or something like, and being a quote unquote bad person. But I just go to myself, like, do I, how do I see myself? What do I think about myself? Do I know that I try? Do I know that I care about people? Do I know that I'm compassionate? Like, yes. And so then I just go, okay, then I just have to chalk it up to a misunderstanding. And, and you know, if there's something to learn and do better next time, I'll do that. But a lot of times people just want to be angry at you. Oh, and that's for sure. Okay. And, and honestly, one of the things that I learned early on was like, and that's what I said about like the dig.com commenters, like it's 99% of the time, it's always about them. Yeah. And what I found too is like, I would just start to write back to some of these people. I remember you used to do this in the YouTube days of when we were still doing our shirt. It would be email, YouTube, whatever. I'd just be like, I'm sorry for whatever's going on in your life that you felt you need to say this. Like that would be my go-to response. And when people would write back, because most of the times they didn't, they would say like, I'm so sorry that I wrote this. Like my sister was having like a really bad day. We got some bad news and like, I just took it out on you. And it's like, yeah, see, it wasn't about me. Like Mm -hmm. this is totally not something that like, I can control. And so I'm just not going to let it wear me down and get to me. And again, like that is easier said than done. And for people who I think grow up in a family dynamic where they have to be people pleasers and like keep the family together, quote unquote, like that's going to be much harder forever because it's just ingrained in you to do that. Whereas for me, it's like, I just need to figure out a new game to play with my battle beasts, which, (laughs) uh, you know, it's just like, uh, as a kid, you just, move on like you just do it's a going thing. back to what i was saying like it's a losing game so yeah. it's like if you take the practical route you almost are like yeah just you're better off figuring out who you are and deciding that's enough yeah because uh, the other way the people pleasing way is it is a losing game you also i should be... have said micro machines or lego mm-hmm. because that would have really like more people would have understood that battle beast was this like tiny little figurines that were like little character i mean i do love them but like literally no one knows what they are um before we move on from i rear shirt that that era um I just want to, you know, let's talk about the downfall, if you will. <laughs> um, I don't want to dig in too much because, again, there's lots of yeah. commentary about that. But do you think at the heart of it, it was trying to grow too fast? I think it's a couple things. Um, I wouldn't change any of it because it's shaped who we are today and ha- we have the life we have today because Absolutely. of the decisions. Absolutely. But I think in like in an alternate reality, I wish I would have done I Wear Your Shirt as like a vlog channel. Mm-hmm. but no one knew what vlogging was. Like what's funny is I made fun of vlogging in some of my videos mm-hmm. because it was a thing that no one was doing yet. And like, and like, so give people context to how you think your content was different than right. just a vlog. So I, on I wear your shirt, I was making skits and commercials. So I was like trying to tell a story of like good life. Granola is the one I always go back to because I can always remember it. Yeah. You're basically making these like low budget commercials. Totally. It's, it's all about the brand. Exactly. It's not really about you. It's just, yeah. you're kind of the actor yeah. in the thing. I would do like a blind taste test of like five granolas and like, could I pick out the good life granola there? Um, you know, I would go to the grocery store and I would like secretly put good life granola on the shelf, even though like there's no skew for it and it couldn't be sold. So I just think it'd be funny. Um, it's the like, thing to do. Uh, you know, it's just like that or like going into the kitchen, like I visited Michigan where it was made and like I watched them make it and like that would actually be kind of vlog style. Do you know what's kind of funny though? All of these ideas, now that I think about it, 
all the videos are actually what are now usually the 15 to 30 second pre-rolls pre not pre-rolls oh like brand integration oh yeah, yeah yeah for sure so if you watch like our friend yeah. matt diavella if yeah. you if you watch his videos yeah. he's he's doing a video about something else that he wants to do exactly. and then there's 15 to 20 or 30 seconds about Squarespace, right? Exactly. And he's doing a, f he's thinking, how can I highlight Squarespace in like a unique way? Yeah. But Making a website for his biceps. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you're taking the 30 second ad yeah. and you're doing the whole video that. And so yeah. nobody is falling in love with like what your actual content is. Exactly. And so looking back, like I wish I would have just done more day in the life and, but like no one was doing that. So it was like impossible for me. Like all I thought of at the time when I was doing this was like commercials. Commercials are right. on TV. They feature brands. Now I'm going to make commercials on YouTube because that didn't exist. Well, but here's where I do think you only like, I do think you ultimately did make the right decision for the business because yeah. again, at the time, the one of the only value propositions that you had for people to pay $300 or when it got more expensive, $600 for yeah. a day of advertising was okay. But at the end of it, you You're get have a, a video, yeah, yeah. you get a commercial, you get a video asset that you can use for sure. And at the time, people's like video presences weren't getting big enough where totally. you could sell the value of that. Hundred percent. And and again, but, like, but maybe at there came a point where maybe you could have pivoted, right? Yeah, I, and I think like it's like the companies wouldn't have understood why a day in the life video would matter. But I think what they would have seen over time is my viewership would have gone up. Like the I think all time viewership of all videos on the I Reassure YouTube channel. It was like 15 million views last time I looked, mm -hmm. which is nothing to sneeze at. Right. But with 3,000 total videos on the channel, I made 1,600 and then I had hired people that made mm -hmm. videos. Like, that's not a ton. Mm -mm. Like, there are channels that have like, you know, and 20 it says, views. And who 20, wants to go watch a bunch, of commercials. a bunch of commercials? Yeah. And at the time, though, people did. They did. And it was enough. Because it was new and it was yeah. different. But it's like looking back, I wish I would have gone the day in the life, like, you know, thing, because I think more people would have been more attached to that. Totally. And what's funny is when we got towards the end of Iria's shirt, I saw that coming mm -hmm. and I remember when we were at like a team retreat, I was like, guys, like we need to feature like your day in the life, whatever. But I didn't really know how to do that myself yeah. in a compelling way. So I didn't know how to teach them how to do it either. Right. So we just never kind of got there. But yeah, the the real the real thing that happened with I Reassure it was I think all of the video commercials kind of ran their course. Uh, I think I got really tired and burnt out from just working every single day forever and ever and ever. And so I just was running out of energy to manage things. Um, I definitely tried to grow the business. So it was just me the first year, two people the second year, five people the third year. But by the third year, like I also needed an operations person to help manage the other people, to help make sure all the t-shirts were arriving at our different houses, uh, to deal with all the inbound information and requests and sales opportunities and, um, you know, sponsorship deals that were getting done. Like you had a girlfriend that was mooching on your money. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering her. where you were going to go there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mooching on my what? what? Oh, my what? Oh, but I think it was just, it was the perfect storm of all of those things and just not a sound business model, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like the calendar pricing mechanism of being uh, small at the beginning of the year and growing throughout the year, that's great in theory. But when you have to pay people salaries, their salaries don't get paid like that. Their salaries get paid. Hey, I get $3,000 every month in January. But like as a business, the business only made a thousand bucks, but I right. had to pay $15,000. Which could have worked had you maybe had someone who had an eye more on the cash flow. Totally. But 100%. like you, it was so early I, yeah, in your just, business career that yeah. it's like, you don't know those things. Yeah. So I reassure it ends. Well, you know, you decide to shut down the business because it's just not making enough money. At that point, you're 
in debt, which we talked a little bit about on the last episode, the last episode money. about yeah. money. What was the hardest part about the ending? Was it ego? It was the ego. 100%. The hit to your ego. You go from being on every Jiffy Lube TV <laughs> out there. <laughs> it was it was really just the, the demise of the Jiffy Lube celebrity. Jiffy Lube celebrity. <laughs> the J-list. Oh, oh the perfect. J-list. There were already people okay, who were listening your to this. Next, yeah. Your next <laughs> memoir is going to just be called The J-list. The J-list. Um, yeah, it was ego. I mean, it, it was 100% like I went from a person who was getting featured on all these news outlets. And hilariously enough, in 2013 like I had then done the by my last name project for the first time so that had its own notoriety of me auctioning off my last name and and that getting talked about everywhere again but it was this idea that like I was the t-shirt guy for five years I had built up this persona and people knew me for this and all the stories that were being written about it were the the guy makes half a million dollars a year from wearing t-shirts yes the business on paper brought in five hundred thousand dollars but we were upside down. Mm-hmm. Like we, you know, we were in the red every year because expenses were too high and I didn't know how to manage money and I didn't know what I was doing. So it's like, it looked good on the surface from the outside, but like I, I was all crumbling from the inside. And so, yeah, when it ended in 2013, you know, it's funny. Cause I think you were telling me that someone talked about this idea of like the last, like mm-hmm. I had no concept of what my last video would be. Like I didn't even say I, there was no goodbye video. Mm-mm. Like there's no goodbye video on the on the channel. Like I thought about that the other day. My, I think my last uploaded video was a question for Gary V <laughs> and like an Ask Gary V thing. This is 2013. This is 10 years ago though. Like this is like pre Gary V getting super famous. That's so funny. And it's like I think about it now. I'm like, man, I didn't even get to say goodbye. You know, yeah. like it just kind of like it all crumbled and it got to a place where you know we had 124 thousand dollars in total debt. And I just felt so overwhelmed by all of it. I had let employees go. I had borrowed money from family. I felt like I was letting you down. I felt like I was letting our best friend, Sean, down, who literally moved to Florida to work for my company. And at that point, I was just like, this sucks. Like, I just feel like a complete loser who, Mm -hmm. like, couldn't hack it at this. And now I look back and I have a completely different outlook. Like, I tried a thing and I nailed it for a while. (laughs) But I also didn't know what I was doing. And I learned a ton of lessons. They were expensive to learn. But they taught me so much about what we do today. And I think that I, I that's why I say like, I, I don't regret that. I wouldn't change that. Like it's, it's who I am. But I do wish that I would have tweaked it in a couple different ways just to see if you like, I was way early on the whole influencer thing and yeah. social media marketing thing. And like, there probably would have been a big business there with like a big exit opportunity and all that. But that's, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's here. Yeah. After you said after kind of the by my last name, because that that came after the end of I Wear Your Shirt, but you still have these little projects, not little, but you still have these projects that are kind of keeping the ego alive. Yeah. But there comes a point where money's not coming in. You Tell me about that time period. Like, were you ever, did you ever actually have this real fear of like, oh, I, how are we going to pay bills? Oh, yeah, all the time. You did all yeah, the yeah, time. Yeah. Especially when all the credit cards were maxed out. When yeah. I was like, oh, I literally don't. Like, at least when so I reassure. And so how do you move forward in that, when you're in that place? You just do whatever you can. You take a speaking gig here or there. Because it's like, you know, when you hear this, you think like, oh, well, who's going to pay this entrepreneur to like come do anything? Like his business failed. But like from the outside looking in, everyone still saw all the greatness of this. Like mm. they still saw the story. They, they Maybe they see the fall of it ending. 
But again, like there was no big goodbye. There was no big send off. It just kind of like trailed off, which is maybe a good thing because that's how we were able to scrape by for like the next two years. And you think that everyone knows exactly oh, the ins and outs of your failures, no. but people are busy with their own oh, thing. So in, half the people that probably hired you oh, didn't yeah. even know it. Even in, even in 2015, people are like, Oh, you're still wearing shirts. I'm like, I haven't worn shirts for two years. They like no idea. that's a whole different, like that, that business has been, I, that's dead to me. <laughs> I've like sold three different weird things since then. And, and yeah, so I think like, it was just being scrappy. It was just doing anything that I could. And honestly, like that's where the online course stuff started. Mm -hmm. So it was 2013 when I cobbled together the sponsorships course. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, 2014 when I was still doing speaking stuff. And then that's also when I wrote Creativity for Sale and did the sponsor my book project, which brought in $75,000, which was enough right. to like keep us going, plus the sale of the last name. So it's funny. It's like, you know, on the surface, Irish shirt shuts down. I have no opportunities, but I sold my last name for 45,000 bucks. So that was a good chunk of money. Then I did the sponsor my book project where I did a different sponsor in every page of the book. That was 75,000 bucks in that year. So it's like, we still made a hundred thousand dollars from totally. my ideas in that year, not including speaking gigs, not including some course sales. Okay, so here's what I, wanna... I was just going to say, like, it's, we both know how shitty it was at the time, but when you look back, you're like, but hey, you're still making over $100,000 a year. It's just like, it yeah. didn't seem um, super positive at the time, I think. Oh, totally. Yeah. And it was, it, none of it was sustainable, right? It was these these one-off ideas that really just came through at the last right second. And so it felt like we were clawing our way through, through it all. But yeah, in hindsight, you look back and you're like, okay, you were making it happen. But I just want to dig into this for a second because I do think it is valuable. One of the most valuable things you ever taught me and I think changed my life in terms of was is just this idea of there's money out there. You just – like if you have to make money, it exists out there and it's up to you to go out and figure out how to get it. Yeah. And I know that sounds really like hustle bro stuff, but I just mean from the sense of if you're struggling and you don't know how you're going to pay bills, you really opened my mind to this idea of you don't get what you don't ask for. Yeah. So you have, you have to be able to get out there and withstand rejection in order to have those opportunities come to you. And so I wanted to ask you if there's any advice that you could give people about you know, coming up with sponsor my book or speaking gigs for you, you would be asking people to pay you $15,000 for speaking gigs. And I'm like, what, what, how <laughs> You're are you, a failure. how no, are you kidding. sending this email? Like, I yeah. don't understand. So if there's any tips about, or like your first course, like this sponsorship course for $500, it's like, you've never had that voice in your head that says this is too much money. And so to ask for where I think a lot of us do. And so what helps you in those situations where you go, oh, I'll ask for this. I think it starts with, I sold a thing for $1 on a day. Then I sold a thing for $2. Then I sold a thing for $3. Like I asked for nothing in the beginning for mm. my work. And eventually, like I didn't start out going, pay me $15,000 to do this like, uh, uh, buzz time beers and trivia tour that we did where we had a branded car and we drove around to eight cities and we like showed up at these sports bars and like we got paid like 30 grand for this this you know integration basically that was in the fourth year of doing this in the first year i got paid a dollar <laughs> then i got paid two dollars so interesting and i think what happens for anybody listening to this who's trying to build their own thing is they go well i gotta make five thousand dollars this month it's like okay well good luck like i i literally don't know when you're just getting started i i don't 
you can, if you're super scrappy, you can figure it out, but like, it's really hard. What's not so hard is to make 50 bucks. You can make 50 bucks pretty easily. Then you can make a hundred bucks. Then you can make 250. Then you can make 500 and it can go up from there. And that can take time. But also like in my public speaking trajectory, and I think anybody who's done paid public speaking has seen this trajectory as well. You start out by making zero. Then you get your first time of someone being like, oh, do you do you charge for public speaking? And you're like, do I ever? Um, $500? And someone's like, okay. And you're like, oh my God, I just got paid $500. So like, this, that's amazing. And then you years go by and you're like, okay, well, I, I want to do this less. But someone's still asking me for it. So I'm like, eh, well, the number that I would want is 5,000 bucks. Like, And there are people that get paid so much more. But I'm like, this person's asking for my time. I don't necessarily really want to do this anymore, but I have a track record of being good at it. I'll charge this you amount You have leverage for it. at that point. Exactly. Totally. That's such an interesting answer. Which is, is why when we were walking to that movie theater that one day and we got that phone call and I told that person it'll be $18,000. To fly that me to was, Hawaii. That was the price that I was willing to do it for and I did not want to do it. I didn't want to go. I, I it was, was a long flight. Like I wear shirt was literally coming to an end. We were at the worst of the worst of the time yeah. for that business. And I was like, this is the number that I would do it for. Also because we need money. And I just don't want to do it. And so they were like, yeah, sure. I'm like, great. I probably should have doubled that. Like, that. And then to come to find out, like I go there and Anderson Cooper's the keynote speaker. Like <laughs> they clearly had a ton of money to spend on speakers. Anyway. I, I'm so glad we're doing this because that's an answer I never would have expected from you. I always think of you as this guy who I always thought the answer was like, you just have something I don't have, which is that. Like the confidence. The confidence yeah. to ask for it. But your answer is so true. And it's just that you've sold more things from the beginning, from you know zero. I, you know what I don't have? What? I don't have blind confidence. I have earned confidence. Yeah. There's a huge difference. Yeah. There's a huge difference to... I'll throw out a number. Oh, what's because... up, bro? $20,000. Pay me. Yeah. There's a difference to that. It'd be like, why? Like, I don't... Like, where's that coming from? As opposed to me where it's like... I made a dollar. I made $2. I made $3. And, and because of the experience, because of you doing every step of that journey... then it's a speaking gig for a thousand, then it's a speaking gig for 5,000. Because you've put in the hours of experience, you also know that it's possible because you've done it. And so then you can ask for $18,000 because you know you've had a speaking gig for 15. So why wouldn't they do 18, you know? Whereas people want to come in and they want it, they want the shortcut to asking for the money, yeah. but they don't even have the real earned confidence or the earned data or the skills. To be able to go, all signs point to, I have this value, this person even has the money to pay me that, and I have the courage to even ask for it because I've practiced the courage, you know, 10,000 times by now. Yeah. I mean, this is what we talk about all the time. Like, if someone's listening to this podcast and they're like, I'm pivoting my career, I'm starting over, and like, I want to design Squarespace websites. It's like, great. Design as many as you can for $250 a site, $100 a site, Mm -hmm. whatever you can do. And your, your answer to that, if you're the person listening to this, is like, oh, well, uh, that's not enough. I can't pay my bills. It's like, you're not going to get paid more. Like, we, you, we live in a time now where, like, good graphic, like, Squarespace designers get paid $15,000, $20,000 to design a site because they've made 500 sites and they started out at $200 per site five years ago or 10 years ago. Right. So it's like everybody, nearly everybody, has to earn that confidence and has to earn their price value. Right. Now I have some random questions. Okay. Um, this one's kind of selfish. Sure. Because it's about me. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you and I met in 2010 and we started working together basically at the end of 2011, but really. Are you talking about when you were doing my lion makeup? 
<laughs> no, that was for free. That okay. was just that was just that was pro bono. That was mooching. That was, <laughs> you were mooching on my makeup skills. <laughs> this is true. But I'm curious, is I've never asked you this before, if there was ever like a moment where you suddenly realized that I liked business as much as you did or like creativity or like, Oh, was there a moment where you were like, Oh, she's, yeah, she actually likes this. Like I do. Yeah, for sure. So when we met, you were working or you were in college and you were running the advertising society and you were helping with this nonprofit idea that I had. Like that's Uh how we kind of got together. Mm -hmm. That nonprofit idea was a bad idea, fizzled out. And then we just kind of kept talking as friends then we started to date and like we met and, and you know, I saw like a spark in you, like a creative spark and like you wanted to go into advertising and everything. And like, I think we had, you know, like you were savvy in social media, you know, for, mm-hmm. you know, what you knew. I DM'd you. So you knew I was on Twitter. You all lowercase text, which is, Just you know, to be you know, young different. and flirty. <laughs> different. Better than uppers and lowers. So that's I'm hard to like read. I'm just like not super serious. Yeah. Foxy gal. 16. <laughs> uh, Hazel Fox. Hazel thank Fox, you so much. Hazel baby. Um, it wasn't until I think you worked in Durham at the ad agency and like, you know, we would talk about, I reassured and we, you know, whatever. Then you moved back to Jacksonville and you worked at the agency downtown. And then I think because every day we were together working on, I wear your shirt together. Like you were helping me come up with ideas. Mm -hmm. And that's where like the creative spark that I saw at that first meal at cruisers where we shared fries and you wanted to pour ranch on the fries. And I said, absolutely not. You keep your ranch on your side. I still dream about that ranch. That I think is where I really saw like, Oh wow. Like you, you have a whole set of skills strategically, creatively that like, this is awesome. You know, like I, I knew there was a spark there, but that I think was the real turning point was when we were, when you were putting on my lion makeup, but you were so much more than that. <laughs> For you, a were, video. you were like, well, what about we, what if you did this? Or what if you did this? Or like, what if uh, with this company you thought about this? And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. This is like so helpful to have like a person who can support me. And it's why having a co-founder is so great when you're starting a business because you have someone to bounce those ideas off of. Mm. Um, so did that answer your question? Yeah, I like okay, that. Good. That okay, was good. just selfish. Yeah, I yeah. was just like, ah, oh, yeah. I like it. Um, and then it just went downhill from there. Right. And, yeah. and no good ideas. No good ideas. Yeah. Like I really thought you had something there. We've had but three business ideas in the last week. And I really want to do that one. And I you know, know which you one do. I'm talking about, I but I really want to do that. Yeah. Can you pull your mic down a little bit or yeah. sit up a little? You're just a little there you go. I, you know, I, um, I know you drift. You're no, a drifter. We, we you talked s- about it on a podcast. I melt. Yeah, yeah. I melt. You That's just what it is. I have poor posture. It's yeah. fine. I've made peace with it. Um, I have random, some random questions. Yeah, that's fine. We're, we're rounding down here where this is like this the is rapid the, fire round. Why do you think... You do this every interview, right? What? what do you call this? Every interview you the do The round this. down. This is the round down. Yeah. Every, the round down round? The round down round. Round down round. Okay. Yeah. I do it every episode. The round down round. You, are, my uh, loyal listeners will recognize this the as the round rollers, down round. The cinnamon rollers? Yeah, I call them the cinnamon rollers there actually on go. my podcast. I was wondering if you were going to yeah. remember that. So why are you so good at remembering details about people? Hmm. Hmm. How do you do that? You remember people's names. You remember like, this is why you're the community manager in our business because I love people, but like your, like your superpower is so much better than mine in terms of, it's like my brain, my brain cares so deeply about people that it won't almost let me make that many connections because I will just care too much. But you're really good at knowing like a good amount about a lot of people. Yeah. I don't think I have a good answer to this. It's just a superpower. I think it's just a thing that 
I'm very fortunate to be wired in a way where I can do that. Cause like doing the live Ustream shows with Irie or shirt, it just came naturally to me to be like, Oh, Frank, like you're, you live in Arizona and like you live with your girlfriend and whatever. And then like, Oh, did you like you live in Atlanta? So do you, you think your that family. the live show helped cultivate that? Oh, hundred percent. But do you think it was there to begin with? I think, I think, yeah, it's both. It's both. So it's like, there's a, there's a, a tinge of it that's there to begin with. And like it, I have the ability, but then that superpower kind of got like honed over time where every day I'm in a live stream and it's like, I'm building neural pathways to remember things about people. Do you think that you have so much more room in your brain for other people because you eliminated all this other crap? Yeah. Sure. Probably. Okay, maybe. Yeah. Um, black boxes, black boxes for the win. Um, we talk a lot about, like we mentioned it on the podcast sometimes and like our waymers in our community will know that we lovingly refer to you as a robot just because Me, like, yes. yeah, you are so, because compartmentalization yep, yep, yep. and childhood trauma childhood you know? trauma, <laughs> and you have this ability to just like, you're not at the whim of your emotions the way that maybe I am. I'm not at the whim of my emotions, period. Period. But I wanted to ask you, what do you think you would say is your greatest challenge that you face now on a daily basis? My greatest challenge that I face now. Like, do you feel like you encounter any obstacles throughout your day? Emotionally, psychologically? It's okay if the answer is no. I'm not trying to lead you here. I'm just genuinely curious about like oh, what your inner world is like. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think our having kids is a challenge. Mm. And that's mostly just because like, I just have this, this real push and pull of like giving up this life that we made for ourselves yeah and Losing listen, your freedom, i get it parents i get it i get it kids are amazing love them it's like a whole new set of experiences you're gonna have bleh. i get it but i just i really have this difficult time letting go of this version of my life yeah. that feels like i've we have worked so, so hard. hard to if we're just being honest live a dream life yeah like I get it. Like I am fully aware that we live a dream life by our standards, by other people's standards. And like to see that that's going to change when we have kids, it, it genuinely, it keeps me up at night. Not because it's like, I don't want this to happen. It's just because it's like a loop that my brain has created where it's like, you can do anything you want in a day. All the things are great. You can do anything you want in a day. All the things are great. And like that loop, it just like keeps going around. Do you a circle. feel like you're like focusing because you know, that it's going to change. It's like your brain can't help focus on the fact that it's almost like ending. Yeah. It's that it's almost ending. And it's all, it's also that like, and we've talked about this. I don't have a lot of great examples because I don't seek out this content. So it's hard for me to even know where to find it of like positive, parent positive parenting examples. and like parents who like, I listen, I, I know that a lot of people listening to the show are like, I live a good life with my kids and I love it. Yeah, but you don't have a YouTube channel. Like I can't watch you do that. Like, and I don't want to watch celebrities with kids because like, that's not going to be us. So it's like, it's hard for me to find the examples. And again, this is just where my brain works. This is the way my brain works totally. where it's like, it just wants the examples to rebel against them, but also <laughs> to, to be able to see, like, I don't know anything about this Yeah, and I'm perfect. Like, I'm not scared at all about being a dad. Like yeah. I've had a bunch of father issues growing up. I know I'll be a good dad because 
I know what not to do. I know maybe don't leave. Um, <laughs> For starters, <laughs> yeah. stay. You just stay. Uh, be loving. Don't be abusive. Um, you know, all these different things. Wow, babe, you're like, I'm nailing you're it. starting off on Dad second. of the year. Yeah, you're, Give me the you're mug. ahead. Give me the mug ahead Give me of time. the mug. But anyway, I just like, I like to see how things are done so that yeah. I can see like, oh, okay, great. Like I want to pull this from that or I don't want to pull that from that. Um, but anyway, and that's- there's this, there's this trend now happening, which I think is overall a good thing, which is people are now talking about the hard parts about being yeah. a parent. Right. But now it's like, it's like too much though. It's like swung yeah. to the other direction yeah. where those of us who are yet to embark on that chapter, we're like, okay, but like it, it's, there's some of it's good. Right. <laughs> but I think, and I, besides I've, just the photos you post on Instagram. Yeah. I've told you this before, which is, I think there's a couple things happening, which is first of all, all of the from from my perspective, I think all of the cons of being a parent, like all the the hard parts are very easy to talk about. It's like the sleep deprivation and like the way that you can't just pick up on in moments. Like these are all things that are very tangible things yeah. to talk about, but it's all the positives are completely intangible. Yeah. It's like experiencing a love like you've never known having the joy, uh, being able to see totally. like you and your partner in another person. Like all of these things are so like almost transcendent beyond this like human experience that it's hard to make a YouTube video about yeah. like the depth of my joy because my parent, my kids came along, you know? Yeah. And so it's a little bit of an, uh, like a lopsided kind of scale, scale yeah. um, in that way. And yeah. so, but I totally understand that. And I think, I think it's interesting that you said that as your answer, because I didn't know you like thought about it on a daily basis oh, in yeah. that way. I mean, every day I'm making coffee in the morning. I'm like, <laughs> really? Well, yeah. Oh, babe. Cause I'm like, this is going to be different. Like yeah. right now it's, it's uninterrupted, pure enjoyment mm-hmm. of a craft mm-hmm. measuring it out. I'm swirling the water, doing whatever. But there's going to be a time where like there's like crying happening while I'm doing that, and like, <laughs> and it makes it less peaceful. And for I'm sure. like, I will this needs to go faster. I can no longer take eight minutes yeah, to make my coffee every morning. I hear that. And again, like I'm not trying to, like say it's all doom and gloom. I'm just answering the question honestly that this is you know something that I think about. And totally. and like I know it'll be fine. Like I know like the transcendentness of children, um, and like their ability to become D1 athletes and get you know. <laughs> You know, uh, huge uh, also, like, signing bonuses yeah. will and really also, make me happy. At the point where they can like go get you something from the fridge, that's cool. Get that a Bud Light. <laughs> All right. No, I um, do. You, but do you think that we need to do a lot more episodes on kids? Oh no, 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 no. This feels very vulnerable for me. Um, <laughs> but I do think it is valuable to talk yeah. about because you don't get a lot of people who are in our position, which is we've waited longer to have kids. And we, like, I don't think people are honest about what the journey is to come to that decision as a couple. Um, and so I appreciate you for sharing that and being vulnerable in that way of letting people into like what that, those fears are. Yeah. But my last question about that is instead of kind of dreading when that chapter is over, when you can no longer do whatever I want, do whatever you want. Yeah. Do you think that there is something about the finite nature of the chapter like oh I know that there's only going to be this amount of time in my life where I'm fully free that makes it more sweet like that makes it that makes you able to appreciate it more it's like I know this is a weird uh kind of comparison but it's like us knowing that we're going to die one day makes life 
that much sweeter because we know it will end. Yeah. And so we value it while we're here. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely something to do that. And I just wonder, like, I wonder if there's a way for you to reframe it in your mind where you go, yeah, it'll be different in the future. But for right now, that's what makes me appreciate. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Is just use it as like lens for gratitude. Yeah. Um, my final question that I would like to ask you, sir, for joining on my podcast is, um, do, would you consider yourself someone who plans for the future? Would I consider myself someone who plans for the future? Yeah, I think so. I think a few years ago I wasn't, but I think now definitely more than I was like how far out mm, I think like five to ten years hmm. you know what our lives are gonna look like in ten years well really because what this boils down to is like we've talked about this we didn't talk about it in our money episode but this was like another part of the money episode that I was gonna you know kind of go on a longer thing about is like I see tea tree as our retirement fund right and we've talked about this so maybe you see it the same way as well now where it's like the next couple of years, we want to focus on growing Tea Tree because it is a product that has the potential to be sold to another business. Mm-hmm. Wayne really doesn't. I right. mean, as much as like we could get creative and maybe and like whatever, it just feels so tied to us that yeah. it just feels difficult. As to do it that. should be, right? Yeah. Like I wouldn't want to just right. Tea Tree is like I could see maybe there's like a Waymer who really loves Wayne and like there's an opportunity right, right, for right, them right. to like they also do some type of business coaching or you know. I don't know. We haven't even really ever thought about that. It's just kind of been, Wayne's going to be what it is for as long as it is. But like teachery is really the thing that like we invest time and effort into. We really start to put focus into and like selling that becomes our retirement fund. So that in that sale, that's kind of like we never have to work again. Right. And so I've been thinking about what that timeline looks like. And if that timeline is 10 years, I think that's the conservative timeline. I think five years would be the aggressive timeline. And I don't even think it's really realistic in five years, mm-hmm. but I've just been kind of thinking that. Law can happen in five that years. Way. Exactly. And also now that we've moved to Portugal, you know, I have thought a little bit further out because it takes five years to earn citizenship here. Mm-hmm. And that's not even a guaranteed thing that could happen. But now that we're here and we love it, I'm like, yeah, I could see myself living here for five years and learning the language fully and completely and being able to go anywhere and feel super comfortable being able to talk with anybody in in Portuguese like and then also just being able to take more trips around Europe like mm-hmm. there's so much more of Europe that we haven't seen yet that I want to see uh, and then obviously like having kids like starting to think about like what does that look like and I also you know trying to take care of ourselves a little bit more as we start to yeah. get older and investing in decisions now that will hopefully make us more well-abled 60 70 80 year olds um see the episode on us talking about getting older yeah exactly right like i think that's that's it so i think that's yeah i just was curious because i think in the past you and i have had conversations about how the way that your brain works it's often like i can only focus on kind of what's in front of me but i think as you get older your lens has widened a bit and you've gone like okay and also I think a little bit of it is just like having predictable income creates True. space to be able to think about the future. True. Whereas like, you know, from the 2000. You're just thinking about next month. Nine to 2016 years. It's like, I, I don't even know how I'm going to make money next year. You know, right. I don't even it's have all like a, so unpredictable. Yeah. 
that's a good good insight as well um well thank you for coming on this pod that's the round down round that's the round down round okay and learn some new things about you wow i put some pieces together I do you think yet. anyone's gonna like this or do you think they're just gonna be like wow this well guy. jason i learned that i don't need the validation so oh nice i don't care what okay and great i don't let me just try to say the words I don't care what anyone thinks about this episode. <laughs> <I'm just laughs> well, kidding. it's not you getting asked questions, so it's probably mm, a lot true. less. No, but I, 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 I'm still self-conscious about my interviewing ability. I think you did a great job. Oh, As thanks. people who watch lots of interviews and podcasts and things, like it's one of the main pieces of content we consume. You would watch this episode yeah, I think and you listen did a, to it. I think you did a great, well, not, not for the guest, but for the interviewer. I'd be like, I want to see that interviewer maybe chat to... Childish Gambino, you know, like if you oh get Donald gosh. Glover to sit down it's with you, it's just my interviewing roster is you and Donald Glover. <laughs> that's my dream. That's it. Then it's over. Yeah, that's the end. That's it. I yeah. just retire. Who would be your final interview? <gasps> Who do I actually want to interview? Who would be my final interview? Taylor Swift. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's. What I, I mean, thought. and I'm embarrassed to say. I think it's probably. I know that I think people are judging like me, but start if, I, if I'm if I'm answering authentically, who yeah. I would like to interview. That's it. Okay, great. Yep. All right. Thanks for coming out, man. Thank you so much for okay. coming on the show. And thanks to our sponsor. We don't have one yet. Tune in next <laughs> week for my side of the interview yes. table. Are you going to do a round down round? That's your show. I got my own show. Okay, cool. Okay, bye. Bye.